Nation, authors, coaches, speakers. Three, two, one. Amplify your mission. Access training. AYMission.com. And here is your host. He's a best selling author, TEDx speaker, and was even named one of the top 10 dads in podcasting by Podcast Magazine. Please help me welcome to the stage, Adam Lewis Walker. This week, we're talking all about mind travel. We've got Murray Hittery on the line. He is the co-founder of one of the very first internet-based companies, Dice, which went public and was sold for 200 million. Later, he signed several other companies, including eBility and Primary Insight, and took both of them public as well. Then he decided to pivot his career from business to music and created mind travel, which is an immersive musical experience with silent headphones, takes place in unique, beautiful settings. He says his mission is to move people to purpose and help them on a journey of self-discovery and mindfulness. This is going to be a unique episode. I'm really looking forward to it. Murray, are you ready to amplify your mission today? Absolutely, Adam. Great to be here. Me too. Me too. I'm, I'm glad we're... Uh, I won't go on about what happened to get to, this, uh, get to this point in the interview, but yeah, I'm glad we're here too. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add or highlight? What are you all about at the moment? You know, my whole life, you know, when people look at kind of the accomplishments or whatever I've achieved in my life. It seems to be, you know, in lots of different areas, you got stuff in tech, you got entrepreneur activity, you've got music, you've got being a composer, being an artist. And it seems like, oh, maybe it's all over the place. But for me, the common denominator, Adam, is an expression of creativity, which is all led really by my curiosity. Ever since I was a little kid, this insatiable curiosity uh, to just learn about the world and the universe around me. And so it's being expressed through creating all these different types of projects and ventures. Yeah. Well, in the introduction, we heard a little bit about you, sort of your career. And, but um, tell us about your origins. Where are you based? Where are you speaking to us from today? I mean, and obviously the first sort of highlight in the introduction mentioned about how did you get to, you know, selling a company for 200 million? Did you ever think that would happen? Like, tell us a little bit about the journey. Well, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, my family's still there in the same house I grew up in. I started playing music when I was really young, about five years old. And I knew by the time I was in high school, I wanted to be a composer. Music, Adam, for me, became a, a real powerful language of expression. I was a pretty shy kid, and I found more easily came to express myself through music. So I would sit at the piano, and just kind of tinker around and, and start to write my own tunes. And they became more and more sophisticated. And uh, I knew I wanted to write my own music. I had my own thing to say with music, not just playing the music of other composers. And by the time I got to university, that's exactly what I did. And I, uh, I studied to be a classical uh, composer. But you know, when I graduated, so I'm, you know, I was around 21, 22, and I was like, how am I gonna make any money with classical music, being a classical composer? Um, a lot of people would go into writing jingles for TV or, you know, music for TV. But back in the day, that just didn't feel like the calling for me. Um, yeah. Most of those guys. Say, a lot of times you think of the struggling musician as well. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, there's just so much I wanted to do and experience in life and travel and just soak in life that, you know, just takes resources. It takes money to do that. And I was having this exact conversation with my older brother who was really into computers our whole lives. He was always getting the first computer. And he even went to computer camp when I was, you know, rock climbing and camping and canoeing in the summer. You know, he was going to computer camp. So he and I were chatting and he said, 
And this is now, you got to remember, this is back in like 1994, uh, at the earliest days of the internet, yeah. before anyone really even heard of it or its commercial success. This is before Google. This is before all those companies. And he said, you know, have you ever heard of the internet? And I was like, yeah, I think I kind of heard of that. And he and I started to look at it and we said, this is just so exciting. And we were just really pulled into that world because it was filled with possibility. And we didn't know if it was going to be lucrative or make money at the time, but it was just so exciting. And it really triggered that part of me of creative expression. And I just learned as I went. And we ended up building a really cool company. And uh, within four years, we took that company public in 1998 in one of the biggest IPOs in NASDAQ history. Wow. So how old were you at that time then? So I was tw about 22 when I started it, and I was 27 when we actually took it public. And that was with your brother? That was my older brother, three years older, yeah. So what was the, you know, what exactly was, was that business? And well, it first started out as one of the preeminent web shops. We were building the first big websites on the internet. So for the New York Stock Exchange, for uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, we put them on the internet, these big wow. organizations. So these were multi-million dollar projects and that's how we first scaled the company. But then we realized there was an opportunity to become more of a media company, have our own properties. And that's what we did. Eventually that turned into dice.com, uh, which is the largest, till today, the largest career site or job board. That's a place you go to find jobs, especially if you're in the technology programmer or anyone in the technology world. And uh, before that, it literally was being done, you know, through magazines and classified ads and, you know, in, in, in the paper world, right? And we brought that whole, that whole industry and scaled it online. Yeah. I mean, around that period, obviously, you said what kind of what you didn't want to happen, but what, what, how do you think and why do you think you managed to have such success early on? And, and who helped awaken your alpha in terms of was there anyone you aspired to or was it just someone told you the right thing at the right time? You know, I, I, I also credit growing up in a very entrepreneurial family. So, you know, my dad works with his brothers, uh, which my in a business that my grandfather started coming over here in the early 1900s with with nothing in his pocket. He was 15 and uh, he landed in Ellis Island and lived in the Lower East Side in tenements and sold and peddled handkerchiefs and tablecloths on the corner uh, in Manhattan, in Lower Manhattan. So he built the family business from literally nothing. Um, so I grew up with that kind of value, right? Mm -hmm. Of really kind of pulling yourself up and, and making something of yourself with your own means and your own ideas. Even my mom, she has till today a business where, you know, she sells all kinds of uh, tableware and china and glasses and stuff like that for people's homes. She does that as her own business. So it was natural for my brother and I to also start our own business. Even when I was 15, 16 years old, I would spend my weekends, instead of playing ball with my friends, I would go to the flea markets in, the que in Queens and Bronx and Brooklyn. And I would, you know, sell stuff. And I would, you know, I'd end up making four or 500 bucks on a weekend. And for a 15 year old, that was like in yeah, insane. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. I actually parlayed some of that money into buying a saxophone and I learned how to play the saxophone and you know just I just poured my money into musical instruments keyboards and all that kind of stuff but I got a sense of what it was like to really negotiate and to and to fend for yourself out there and you know, build a business yeah. and so it was kind of natural for us to do that 
of course, you never know what kind of resistance you're going to meet. And I think if anyone really knows what's going to, the obstacles in front of them when they build a business, you almost wouldn't start it to begin with. But I think as entrepreneurs, we have this inherent, innate optimism that will figure it out. Not that everything is going to always be smooth, but that we believe enough in ourselves that we'll figure out the path through. And it may not be a straight line. It may squiggle in all different directions, but ultimately it's going to always going to go forward. And yeah. we're always going to be focused on solution and not get mired in the, in the problems. Talking about figuring it out, what was the biggest challenge to figure out in building that business to the South? And kind of the second question as well. Was that always the plan? Did, was there ever a point to thinking, actually, I'm going to stay with this and build it, you know, build it for the long term? Or you know, how was that decision as well? Well, you know, we had a really nice business that was humming along. And then we had, if you remember back in the, around 2000, the bubble burst of, of the technology yeah. internet bubble. And there we were with part of our business incredibly profitable and part of our business just growing. We were investing in it. One was an advertising model. That was the part that was losing money, but growing. Mm -hmm. And the other part was the classified ad model, which was incredibly power, incredibly profitable, which was this, this job placements, right? P mm -hmm. Companies posting for jobs. But at the time, it was only headhunters and recruiters that were allowed to post on the website. So if you were a company like Microsoft, you couldn't post directly on Dice. Oh, okay. so, we, so we said, you know what? We're going to open it up. And it's not just going to be for the middlemen, for the recruiters and headhunters, but we're going to go direct to the companies. Now, that was a big risk because if we upset our yeah, headhunter out. and recruiters, they might bail and then we're left with nothing. We ended up opening it up to everybody as an equal platform. The revenue went from about $3 million to about $60 million in 18 months. It was wow. a game changer. Yeah. And so, And at the same time, when the bubble burst hit, and everything kind of just went to crap. We said, you know what? The advertising model is going to take a lot longer. It's dragging us down. So I focused on selling that unit and ended up selling it, spinning it off to another company. And then I freed up this incredibly profitable business. And that's what helped us thrive through that time and allow us to continue. Now, at the end of the day, I didn't feel like, that business, as much as I loved it and I had so much fun with it, was my ultimate legacy, right? Yeah. It wasn't like why I was put here on earth. And so I felt okay kind of moving on and then finding the next project to sink my creative teeth into. And so I did, you know, I ended up building another company and selling that and then another what one. That, what was that next company? Was it the, the next company was called Vista Research. And that, you know, when you take a company public, Adam, you do these things called roadshows where you go in front of hedge fund managers, mutual fund managers, and you're trying to convince them to buy your stock, right? And so they're half an hour pitches. Now, most of the time, they want to pick your brain about the industry in general. What do you think about this company? What do you think about that company? And so we ended up building a business called Vista Research that was matching industry experts with these hedge funds. Yeah. So if they wanted to know something about the airline industry, we would go get them an airline uh, expert. If they wanted to know about the semiconductor chip industry, we'd find them a guy that worked at you know, AMD or Intel for 15 years and can talk to them to give them the, the lay of the land, right? 
And that became a really cool business and a great model. We sold that extremely well to uh, McGraw-Hill S&P 500. They, you know, you know the S&P Standard and Poor's. So they, they bought the company. Okay. Um, well, I suppose, listen to your journey as well. What do you think are some, some essentials in terms of building a business to sell and making it you know, tangible assets and valuable? Yeah. You know, on the heels of that, I built a company which I still have today called eBility. And that's all about uh, tracking time and invoicing time. And the reason why I, I started that business with my co-founder when he came to me with the idea was because I love the business model. It was all about subscription revenue. And so that gives you visibility month to month, year to year. And it was something that almost anyone needs in the business world, whether you're a freelancer or whether you're a really big company, you typically have to track the time of your staff to either invoice out like a law firm would or an architecture firm, right? Uh, or an electrician or a plumber. Or if you're not billing out your time, you need to track it for payroll internally, right? So it's a business that I felt had a really addressable market. Now, this is a company that I really did start specifically to sell. And, you know, we wanted out of the gate and we built this company right after the Great Recession. So it was a very different time in terms of kind of how to, how to responsibly build a company. So we built it from day one to be profitable from day one, as opposed to like a lot of tech companies, a lot of startups where you want to just raise tons of money and just focus on growth, 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 yeah. growth, and lose money for many years. But the first year in, we were profitable and we've been profitable now for the last decade. So it's really been a different approach to building a business, but a very steady and sure one. And over the 10 years, all the shareholders of the business, we've been able to you know, take out dividends and the profits and continue to grow the business. So I think the right time, it's kind of ripe for selling, but it was really engineered that way because yeah. at the end of the day, you can sell a business when you're providing incredible value to your customers. And that's really the only way to start a company is like, what value am I giving someone else, right? Where can I be of value, of service? And how am I improving their lives in some way? And when I look at the thousands and thousands of small business owners that use eBility to track time, um, I know I'm making their life better because I'm saving them time and all the manual stuff they used to do. Because it's all automated now with our system. Yeah. So I'm, I'm helping them whether they want to spend more time selling their product or whether they want to spend more time at home with their kids. All right. That's up to them. But they've got more time to spend however they want. And that's something that will keep these customers. We've got customers that have been with us for eight, nine years, you know, and just continue with us because it's such a great product. So focus on adding value, always adding value, continuing to add value more and more over time. The Talk Accelerator. Increase your income, influence, and impact. Do you want to do a TEDx talk? If the answer to that is yes in any way, shape, or form, or it perks your interest, head over to talkaccelerator.com that's talk x c e l e r a t o r.com it's got all the information on how you can get a tedx talk and why potentially you might do and the impact it can have on you and your message if you go there as well for a limited time you can click on the green button at several places on the page and schedule in your own idea clarity call where we can talk through your potential idea worth sharing and what makes a great idea worth sharing the TEDx platform is a great way to enhance everything you do and amplify your message. 
you have any interest in that, go across to talkaccelerator.com. That's talk, X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-O-R.com. If you've got a message, if you've got a mission, it's time to amplify that message and increase your influence, income, and impact. I hope to speak to you very soon. Enjoy the show. And talk about these businesses. Um, I wondered, have you ever struggled to remove yourself from businesses to you know, make, make them sellable and valuable as well? Uh, and obviously, if you, you might want to start another business. I know sort of your mind travel seems to be your core focus now, but you've still got this other business. How have you found the challenges of removing yourself so it's not you, the business, as opposed to something that's you know, separate and sellable? You know, I, I learned pretty early on a couple of things. The first is always make yourself obsolete. If the whole business relies on me, um, I kind of have a problem, <laughs> you know? So that was something, and for, for several reasons, right? Of course, one is that I'm the bottleneck. I'm not going to be able to be everywhere at the same time, and the company will, will be hampered in terms of its growth. Of course, if something happens to me, that's going to be a serious problem, obviously. But also, to your point, if I sell the company, then the acquirer is going to want me to be there for years, mm. and I probably won't want to do that. You know, otherwise I wouldn't have sold the company. I probably would want to move on to something else. So I've really made a point to put in teams that in different areas are smarter than me and capable of running the day-to-day and growing the company. And, and thank goodness that's been the case with, with, all the, with all the businesses so far. And we touched on the mind travel element. When did you really step into that? And that seems like something that is more kind of your true purpose. Obviously you've done very well in, in business, but the mind travel talk to us about that and really what you're focusing on now so you know mind travel is all about uh, what happened in 2020 as well to come out and interview yeah yeah so you know mind travel is all about music it's going back to my roots as a musician and a composer and i always knew i'd go back to it i just didn't know what that was going to look like but even over the years adam of all those businesses we just talked about i actually continued my music as a personal practice it was as as my own personal um, ritual, if you will. Mm-hmm. Even in our offices in New York, we had these beautiful offices on Park Avenue, and I had a piano, a grand piano in my office. And at the end of every crazy startup tech day, I would sit at that piano, you know, maybe at 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 10 p.m., I would just sit in my office and I would play. And I also had a piano at home, and I would do that at home as well. But it was my way to reset. It was my way to rebalance from the stresses of the day. And there's always going to be some fire to put out, right? Some small, some large, but it's important to recalibrate each day so that when you hit the ground running the next day, you're fresh and you're on top of it and you're creating the right culture and positive vibes and positive energy that will be contagious throughout your organization, right? So I used music to do that resetting. Then in my mid-30s, I went through probably the most difficult moment of my entire life and that was the tragic death of my little sister and we were yeah we were actually traveling together and uh there was a horrific accident and she was killed instantly she was 23 at the time i was in about 34 and she was you know i mean my favorite person in the world it was just heartbreaking to say the least and just dealing with all that on so many levels right the grief of it the trauma of it coming back to New York and then just trying to figure my life out at that point was there was just so much unknown in how I was going to move forward and if I could even move forward. Mm. Um, it was just so devastating. 
just flattening. And I turned to music as a way to lift myself up, to express the pain that I was going through. And for anyone that has experienced really profound grief, and look, at some point, all of us as part of the human experience will experience grief or loss or some kind of difficulty like that. It's just part of the nature of the human experience. And the question yeah. is, how do we react, right? What's our response going to be? Are we going to completely melt down and, you know, and the other thing is, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, you always kind of picture it or hope in some ways it's always like your little sister. It's right. always up, you know, grandparents, right. parents. It's kind of the circle of life. And it, it does obviously really mess with your head when it's, it doesn't go that way. Right. We have this expectation that there's kind of the natural cycles of life. And, and somehow, even though it's still, you know, it's still uh, heartbreaking when a grandparent dies or a parent, um, if it's at the appropriate age, the natural course of things, it kind of eases the, the pain a little bit. But when it is out of the natural order of things, as we describe it, um, like a young person, a child, uh, it just really rocks your world. And um, it certainly did for me. And so, as we said, you know, at the start of this program, we talked about, you know, music being this language of emotion, right? Music being this language that was natural for me to express myself where I didn't have the words. And certainly something like that, I didn't have the words for. I could try, but it was just impossible to express the level of pain that I was going through. But music allowed me in the privacy of my own space to kind of let it out. And anything to do with pain or grief, and it doesn't even have to be the death of a loved one. It could be even something to do in business or divorce. These are all losses. These are all grievings of different kinds. Yeah, you're not maybe not grieving the death of someone, but you're grieving, say, the death of a business or the death of a relationship. Uh, these still must be mourned in that sense and, and allow the pain of it to be expressed and released. Otherwise, we'll hold it in and suppress it, and it's always going to get in the way. It's going to be with us all the time. So music acts as this very powerful language to get it out of us. I saw how powerfully, Adam, it worked for me to, to not just, you know, I, I thought I was trying to get my life back, but in many ways, it gave me a different and better life after I went through that. And it opened my heart. It just cracked my heart wide open. And I came out of that with the realization that I really wanted to share this experience, what I was doing on my own with music, with others. And I felt like it could really help other people as well. Yeah. So That's someone, when I created Mind Travel. I was yeah. going to say, for someone who's listening and think, okay, you know, I, I, you know, listening to music is awesome. What's the, what's the key difference when they have sort of meditations and I'm, I'm looking at some of the experiences yeah. and, you, and I, you know, you were traveling around all over the place just before kind of things shut down. So talk to us about what it is kind of thing. Yeah. So I wanted to bring together all these elements that I love, like nature and music and movement. And for me, nature is healing. When I, when I want to heal, I go to the ocean, I go hiking, I go to the mountains, right? And, but I also love being in community with other people. And I wanted to bring all that together. So I created this immersive experience called mind travel and what it looks like is there's a few different formats but generally like we'll go to places like santa monica beach or central park or these epic you know natural locations that we all have around us no matter where we live 
and we'll have hundreds or even thousands of us gathering. And I give everyone a pair of headphones. So the experience is incredibly intimate. And then I play the piano and it's beamed directly into the headphones so that you have your own personal experience as if you're in the front row. Everyone's got a front row seat. But here's the thing, you don't have to be sitting in a chair, you know, next to other people, kind of all crowded. No, you're walking by on the beach. You got you could be standing in the ocean up to your waist, taking in, you know, the incredible glory of nature while listening live to the music as the piano is 50 feet from you. That's the kind of experiences we're doing. And it gives everyone a very intimate personal experience. And then you look around and you're like, everyone's having a personal experience together. So it balances this profound expression of our senses of individuality and community. And, you know, for me, that's been a real theme for my life. And I think a lot of, a lot of people are about how do I really honor my individuality, my unique sense of expression, right? My alpha maleness, my alphaness, right? It's like, that's really a key way to be. You want to embrace that, right? You don't want to suppress that. But at the same time, we also want to appreciate and honor the interconnection of all people and all things, right? And the two can coexist beautifully if we find the right balance for it, right? It's not about domination, it's about collaboration, but bringing your own unique sense and perspective to it. And that's real leadership, that's real power, right? Not dominating other people. Again, I'm thinking again, even before the pandemic, logistically wise, how on earth did you kind of bring that together and, and paint that picture and and logistic, like make that happen at least before the pandemic. And then yeah. how has that impacted, obviously gatherings and just the world seeming to have changed now. How has that impacted you over the last year or two? You know, it was incredibly organic. I did the first one at the beach many years ago. And, you know, maybe we had 40 people there, then 80, then 100, then 150. It just kept growing. And then I took it from one city to another city to a third city. And then we really kind of, you know, made it happen. I hired. I mean, a team. do people buy it? Do people buy it like it's a concert? So yeah. So I, I, you know, I built it organically, and then uh, my team, we, we really went, went for it, and scheduled an aggressive tour for 2020. We had 70 cities in our tour plan. I had started in early 2020. Did the first 10 cities throughout the whole Gulf Coast, from Miami all the way to Austin, stopping in incredible cities along the way. And Austin, we had an incredible night, hundreds and hundreds of people uh, in a botanic garden doing this mind travel music experience. And then literally the next day, the botanic garden shut down for COVID. And then across the country, everything shut down like the next day. This was like March 13th, 2020, if you remember. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, we had Dallas planned two days late. I mean, all of it just got, got canceled. So I came back to Los Angeles. And then I was like, okay, I won't be touring this year. Let's see what's, uh... so like many other people, we figured out virtual music experiences, virtual concerts via Instagram and Zoom and YouTube and other platforms. But then it opened up a beautiful opportunity for me to really dive deep into composing, recording, writing new works. And I spent the last year writing some of the most powerful and recording some of the most powerful music I've ever done uh, because I had the space to do it and many other projects as well which you know you it, creativity requires empty space it requires an empty canvas if if our if our moment to moment 
of every day is filled with meetings and calls and, and, and stuff, there's very little room for creativity. You know, there's a reason, Adam, why most people have their idea, you know, maybe they say like, oh, I had this idea in the shower. I had this idea while driving. Well, it's not a coincidence because those are pretty much two of the times when yeah, we're alone. Release valves. <laughs> and, we have, and we actually are with our own selves and have time for, for you know, abstract thought. But rest of the day is busy with all kinds of things, kids or, you know, whatever is going on, errands. So if we can deliberately make time for reflection, we then open up time for creativity. And that's really what mind travel is about. It's like this deliberate time that we're choosing to spend in reflection. When I sit at the piano from first note to last note is uninterrupted. It's a improvisation for an hour and it gives the mind time like a flower to blossom and open up and connect the mind and the heart. And that's where the magic is. That's where we heal. That's where we work through pain. That's where we get through struggle. We figure out solutions to problems. We become creative, you know, problem solvers. We connect dots that we didn't connect before. That's where it happens in that dedicated time of reflection. We just have to remember to make that time, to actually prioritize that kind of time. We're going to move into the alpha round now to start wrapping things up. And I'd like to start that off with, is, I mean, it's a lot of things you said there are pretty quote-worthy, but is there an all-time favorite quote that you, maybe something you have up in your office or just really sums up your approach to life? Any spring to mind? Sure. You know, I'm, I'm thinking now of the, of the quote by John Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost, of course. And, you know, he said something to the effect of the mind is, you know, an incredible place. It could make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. And it all is based on our interpretation of things around us, right? Understanding that there's no true objective reality, or if there is, we certainly can't know it. And that our perception is strictly that, our perception. And how we look at something can make, as he says, a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. And we're the authors of that narrative, right? The stories we tell ourselves, that's, we're the owners of that story. And especially as an entrepreneur, if you're building a business, it's so easy to quit because there will be so many opportunities where the resistance and the obstacles seem overwhelming. And so if you choose the narrative of this is not going to work or I can't figure it out, then it won't work. But if yeah. you take a different narrative, you can certainly overcome it. And those are the great stories we hear about. Those are the inspiring stories we hear about. Um, and has there ever been a particularly impactful book for you or just the, you know, all-time favorite or you just read it at the right time? It's what you need to hear. Any spring to mind? You know, the, I would say the book that set me off as a, as a very young man on my spiritual journey, which was the book Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Oh, never um, heard of it. Oh, it's, it's a, it won the Nobel Prize in the 40s. It's, <laughs> it's coming up on its centennial now, 100 years pub ago it was published. Wow. Uh, by the by, the German author Hermann Hesse, and it's a classic, uh, and it's a beautiful um, spiritual tale, and uh, it's 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 a very short read. It's 130 pages or so. I read it when I was you know in New York. I got on the subway as a teenager, and I didn't get off the subway till I finished it. It was so riveting, and it it just spoke to me in that way. But I think all of us now are more in touch with mindfulness with our own sense of consciousness and what we're capable of. And this book is really almost a manual for that journey. It's a, it's a classic book. 
talking about mindfulness and obviously we've got mind travel are there any resources you can recommend either from you know mind travel or just resources you use in your everyday life and business that you think uh, might have no affiliation to that you think are a useful recommendation you know it's always important to to manage our state throughout the day so it's the little things like getting the right kind of sleep right we know have such has such an outsized impact to how effective we are the next day so I actually created music for different scenarios throughout our day. So for instance, for those of us who have trouble sleeping, and when, especially, certainly when I travel, um, jet lag and other stuff makes it tough to sleep well. So I created music with certain binaural beats and acoustic technology that actually allow for a deeper, more efficient sleep. Then I can wake up you know, ready to go. So sleeping is key. So there's mind travel music for sleep. There's mind travel music for meditation. There's also mind travel music for focus while working. It's so easy, Adam, as we know, to get distracted, right? Social media, texts, emails, yeah. phone calls. I, I, well, my, when it comes to music, my, uh, my favorite is Hans Zimmer. Yeah, I, used, I, I, wrote, I wrote my book with Hans Zimmer just on loop. Because any, anything with like, uh, like, you know, people singing it or anything like that, it's just too distracting. distracting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I actually created a whole album called Focus, which is music there's no singing there's no you know lyrics it's instrumental piano music that is designed so that patterns open up the creativity of the mind i have so many stories of people from lawyers to screenwriters they tell me that they just put this on and they just go and it's a long it's an hour plus long track you can stack it put other tracks and you're just in the zone in that flow state for for a long time and just cranking stuff out well, if people want to hear more and find out more, because we're running out of time here, what's the yeah. best way they can connect with you? Mindtravel.com is the website. It's got everything on there. And then they, you can always reach out to me on Instagram at Murray Hittery is uh, my, just my full name is my Instagram account. You can DM me with any ideas, any questions, and I'm, I'm happy to jump on there. Awesome. And uh, from your network, having gone through the bulk of the interview now, is there anyone who jumps out you think they would be a good interview for Awakening Your Alpha? Um, you think they've got a lot of value to give or they've just got a very interesting and entertaining story? Oh, absolutely. I, 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 let me think of a few names and I'll email them to you. And happy to do that. Awesome. Well, Murray, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Adam. That was great. Attention, authors, coaches, speakers. Make sure to join our Amplifying Your Mission all right have a great week amplify your message and amplify your mission system shutdown three two one